All right. So whenever you're ready, my friend. All right, cool. All right. Welcome back for part two, everyone. This is uh it's about a, a week in the making, and I've been looking forward to it ever since. Jeremy, how are you doing? Doing good. How are you? Pretty good. Uh you ready to dive in? Yeah. Tell me where we're gonna start and let's let's just go for it. All right. Uh then I got a doozy right out of the gate for you. Love it. So I know this is possibly a controversial topic. Um, <laughs> that being said, right out of the gate, do you believe in creation theory or uh, evolution theory? Hmm. Okay. Boy, you're going to really dive into the deep end right <laughs> off the bat. I love it. Okay. So before we get going on anything else, Help me out by defining for me what creation theory is to you or your understanding, or at least, you know, a groundwork that we can share with your listeners. Okay. Um, so for me, I mean, personally, I believe that there's a God. That being said, I also have come in contact with many other people who their word is different. They say universe, they say, you know, whatever, all the many words, but it's essentially the same belief. They believe that there's a higher power that created the world and everything in it and that by tapping into that there, there's a way that if you accept that and begin to understand it because you can't fully understand it you can actually tap into that and it will help you go further in in life in general um but especially in entrepreneurship like i've seen that there's a there's definitely an aspect to entrepreneurship that you have to believe uh in a higher power to some extent to be able to see the success, like Tony Robbins, um, as the last episode we talked about, um, Dr. Joe Dispenza, they all believe in a higher power. Um, so, I mean, that's where I'm coming from. And then obviously the, the other one would be the, the Big Bang Theory, um, where we just kind of came from, uh, what is it, the meteors uh, crashing together. So that being said, I'm just, you know, what what's your take on it? Okay, my beliefs. <sighs> wow. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how to like <laughs> succinctly go after this or take it in bite-sized chunks because I know people who don't believe in evolution. And I'm okay with that if that's what they believe. I know farmers who don't believe in evolution. And yet they know that to get greater milk yield out of a certain cow, you know, if they breed this bull with this cow and end up with a calf, you know, over time, they should end up with a line of calves that produce better milk or, you know, you can, you can pretty much aim for anything at that point, better right. fat production, better meat production, more muscle tone. Um, but they don't call that evolution. Uh, not to interject here, but that I, I would consider it, or I would call it micro evolution, which I do believe in. Well, it's, it's, it's evolving very, you know, in, in very minute, you know, well, the, the steer, the calf or, or the steer, the, uh, the cow, then there's a calf and then it just, the cycle repeats. Right. The, the term evolution doesn't really state a time period. We, we, when we interpret it, tend to say, okay, well, it has to take place over, you know, hundreds of years or thousands of years or millions of years to get to wherever we are. And here's the thing. 
I, I grew up, my mom was a dog breeder. And when she was in high school in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, she was breeding champion basset hounds and showing them across the nation. And in, in the time that I, I grew up, we bred, uh, God, basset hounds, blood hounds. Uh, there was a couple of black labs that she was breeding at one point in time <laughs> and showing, and these are all show dogs. So high quality right. dogs where you are going for very certain, very particular characteristics. Uh, before she passed away, my mom actually had uh, a plot of property and she was breeding beagles. Okay. And, and at one point she had like 18 beagles out in her backyard and everybody loved her beagles because they were super muscular. They had these big, like round heads and uh, short stature, just very broad, almost kind of bulldog or pit bull like in the way that they were muscle, muscled, muscled. <laughs> um, and the reason for that was that she bred for those characteristics and then reinforced that with helping them live and dig and exercise and run and play and all that developed musculature. So there was like, there's the foresight of, okay, well, here's natural talent or natural proclivity. And there's also, here's how I can foster where I want that to go to be able to show it off. So the action sort of right. thing, you know, and that's, that's very much the whole, you know, mental intention with the action to make reality happen. Right. Um, my mom was real big about that whole thing. Like, here's what happens. We have to play both sides right. of this coin. Um, so, I mean, growing up, even to just a few years ago, like to me, I was watching evolution in progress through her lines of dogs. And she had at one point with the beagles, it was like eight or nine generations in one place that you could see different characteristics pick up and move forward. So I found that really fascinating and, and it actually sort of reinforced the idea of, you know, it, if anything, this is sort of a natural process, sort of like these computer algorithms and AIs that all, you know, you give them a bunch of data and it just starts parsing through it towards an end that you say, okay, well, I want something towards this end and the data moves through it. So it seems like to me, a natural process that is just happening. That being said, a natural process just happening seems pretty creationary, doesn't it? Right. And the more that I learn about quantum science, really. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking physics on the physics level. Uh, when we break everything down, it's energy. Okay. Your energy, I'm energy. Uh, the wall is energy. The plants behind me are energy. Like all that stuff is just, you know, and, and when I think of energy, I, I'm, I'm, I start to think of atoms and I break those down to the subatomic particles and I break those down to quarks and I break those down to you know, muons and all these things that make up quarks, which are nothing more than something, something, you know, nobody can really say what, but something right. pulsing and radiating because it's moving so quickly and doing this whole vibration dance um, that it, it, it merges with other things and draws and repels. And like, that seems like a, a very matrix type sci-fi concept that, you know, here's all these things just around us that is us. And that we are all one. And right. the, the more that we um, understand ourselves and consciousness, we actually start to learn in biology that plants are actually communicating with one another through chemical signals and through um, actually some auditory signals in different species of trees. Like we start to ask, is there an actual consciousness there? And there's also that, that sheepdog online. Maybe you've seen the memes or the videos of it who has these like 
30 or 40 or 50 pads where they press a, a, a button and it says a word. And this dog has gotten right. this dog's gotten to the point of like combining words in ways that like we never thought dogs had a consciousness to be able to comprehend. And maybe it's just that they didn't have the way to translate to our way of speaking. So I tend to look at this entire mechanism of being as, okay, we are in this energy field. And, I, you know, people say the matrix all the time, but, you know, when we just think of energy that's constantly changing, yeah, it starts to look a little bit like that matrix. It's just all around us, shifting, moving, uh, flowing to go back to sort of a, last week, I used Buddhist metaphors for the river. You know, it's just is, and you were dropped in the middle of the river and that is being, and right. you can swim back and forth to each of the, with the current, against the current, to each of the coasts, and you're just stuck in this current. Quantum science reinforces that. Now, if one of the aspects of life is that your energy, your consciousness, your piece of divine being, perhaps, that is greater than you, just happens to lock into the energy of a physical body for a short period of time, then, you know, those things that we consider alive, which plants, animals, uh, the planet Earth, like all of these things that have a dynam dy dynamism, okay, have a dynamic <laughs> quality about them. Um, there's consciousness there. So right. to me, God, the universe, all of this is sort of this essential, I am everything experience of consciousness. Right. In which case, that's sort of creationism too, because it is because it is. I think exactly. therefore I am, right? Um, and so whether it's Big Bang or what, um, I do think that there is a higher consciousness, a higher essence, because as we move beyond ourselves um, in quantum fields, I'm going to jump right back into that. <laughs> um, you know, I have my magnetic resonance field. Some people call it the, the aura. Some people call it, look, it's just a magnetic field. It's, you know, a heart field. It's all these different names that we've given through, given to it throughout. Is that your uh, seventh sense? Yeah. They, they refer to it as the seventh or six, sixth sense or seventh sense. I can't remember. Sixth sense. Well, it depends on how you I know you have things. five senses, but then they have the, the sixth sense is your. Yeah. So I guess it would be referring to the, your sixth sense, which is the, the being around you, the energy field around you. And then the seventh sense they refer to as what you can do with that being there's, there's another level to it, well, which I, gets I, really deep. And yeah, <laughs> I know people that'll say that there are 10 senses and they'll start naming off proprioception and all these, you know, if you close your eyes and hold your arms out at different angles inside your head, you can tell where your body is. Right. And partially that might be sixth, seventh. I, I don't even know, but there's more senses than just five, a lot more. Right. And it has to do with all of the subtle ways that our cells um, shoot. Our, our cells actually have receptors for light and magnetic fields and all these other things. And when, when your cells have those signals, they release proteins and other messengers to send the brain. Here's what's happening that tells us what's going on. Right. Now, you have your space, but you know... And anybody in your audience who's ever been in love mm, knows that when you're in that space, you feel very different. And oftentimes you feel like you and the object of your affection are really sharing the same kind of field, the same energy, the same all of that. And what we see in healers, actually, um, in, in uh, 
alternative medicine, energy healing, is that they're utilizing that connection. They're utilizing that sort of I am and you are and we are the same sort of quantum space to to heal. Right. And and people, when they get into the looking at the earth and really, um, uh, for example, those great meditation studies in the 90s where they had thousands and thousands of people in D.C. sit down and meditate. And it was over a period, period of one day or a couple of days. Um, they've done this five or six times in the world. And what they see is crime rates go down, violence goes down, um, hate goes down, um, and all these on all these very statistically measurable levels, the world becomes a better place. And because you're all getting back to that original, hey, you're, we're all on the same you're level. You're all joining into this field and it affects everything. Right. And the greater the field, the greater the consciousness, the more that we're kind of coming together for a purpose, why is that not God? I mean, higher self, energy self, spirit self, why that to me is God because the universe is God. And um, this kind of gets me down a whole other track of thought real quick. I'm just going <laughs> to uh, side rail of, you know, uh, I know last time we talked about people who end up in a depression because they compare their current way of being with the past or they end up in anxiety because of you know what they hope for the future and they're not there and there's a comparative thing i'm trying very hard within myself to follow something that that alan watts wrote he said um something to the effect of i can't i'm not gonna remember exactly that you know anything you think can happen can happen and the reality is what you're living and what you choose to live and right. anytime you think of the past or the future and and you you create that that pain that suffering because it's not that realize that you are just where you need to be and everything has happened exactly as it needs to be because this is reality this is what's happened and you can look at the past and feel bad about it or worry about the future but you're here now and wh whatever you're thinking about it, it's causing you trouble but it happened because that's how it's supposed to happen. That got you to here. Right. And just two little things I want to put in there. The one is, you know, you should always look at your, as life is happening for you, not to you, because when you say life's happening to me, or why did this happen to me? You automatically, you become the victim. Yeah. Um, and from the victim mentality, you can't do anything yeah. <laughs> basically. Um, so why, I mean, this is happening for me. Why did this happen for me? Well, then you got to go figure it out and you got to lean into it and say, okay, this happened. Let's see why. What can um, I learn from this experience? Fantastic exactly. way to reframe that. That and uh, the other one, which I, I just lost. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, I, I lost it. Maybe it'll come back to me, but, but it'll yeah. It'll come just back to you in just a moment. Right. Just, um, you know, taking that, living in the moment is, is the biggest uh, takeaway from all of this is things that happened in the past that you can't change it. So why would you occupy your mind? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I remember what it is now. Um, anything that you can think, you know, think can happen, can happen. And the reason why I've heard people say, you know, that thing that keeps popping into your mind and, and occupying your mind, that is your, your calling to some extent. So don't try to silence it. If you can't understand why you're having this, this thought over and over and over again, why not pursue it? Why not lean in? 
because ultimately, as you said, yeah, if you, or as Alan Watts said, if you can think of it, well, then right away, I mean, it might take a while for you to completely understand the thought, the full thought um, and the, the process of it. But ultimately, if you can do that, why can't you put it into action? Because you, you're capable of putting, even if you personally can't do it, assemble a team to do it, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, look at Elon Musk. He wanted to go to Mars. He's never built a rocket himself. I mean, yes, he's very intelligent, but he hired a team to do that. So, yeah. But that's, that's how... Okay, uh, are you familiar with Esther Hicks at all? I've heard the name. Uh, maybe if you start, you know, rattling okay. uh, some so things off. <laughs> Esther Hicks um, is a a self help guru channeler sort of. Okay, that's how she comes at things, and and her her perspective is that she is channeling the wisdom of Abraham. Okay. I don't know if that's really the biblical Abraham or just happens to be you know, uh, uh, her personality or her, her higher self. Um, but this is this, the, the, the idea that you were just saying of, you know, you have this thing that keeps popping in your head and you're like, oh, well, that's dumb. Oh, well, uh, you know, you, we tend to dismiss those things. And Esther is one of those that did not dismiss it. She started listening to it and it okay. kind of gave, gave it its own voice just so she could say, is that me? Or is that this higher intelligence, this higher self, this, this ability to tap into something. And that's really how psychics have done this for ever. <laughs> it's, you know, can I be open enough to listen to that? And then can I be discerning enough to know what is my ego? What is my id? What is my self? And what is, you know, self being like the protective self? Um, and right. what is my higher self? And that gets real confusing depending on how deep into psychology you want to jump. Because there's so many levels of, you know, what am I actually recognizing? But there is certainly that idea, that concept of your higher self is trying to give you direction. And the way my mom raised me actually was that uh, this experience of life is, is just that. It's like an experience. It's like a movie theater. You've gone into the movie theater. You get to watch this movie. You get to have these experiences. And it is your choice and what you get to do and kind of how things happen. And when you're done, like you can sit all the way to the end of the credits if you like, or, you know, uh, some people hate the movie and they check out halfway through the movie. Um, right. And that's hard. Uh, but it's, it's, it's the idea that we come not from our parents, but through our parents to right. be able to experience this. And, and quantum science, again, is showing that really everything with us is a subjective experience and that the beliefs that reality is completely objective to us is kind of false. And this is based in Einstein's like a couple of, of quick things he said um, about the way that light works and how people perceive light differently and instances will happen differently in time based on when they see it and the different distances they are from it. Meaning things may happen. Yes, something may happen as cause and effect, but it's not the full, it's not the full story because <laughs> individually right. we get different experiences. So uh, Esther Hicks, in a lot of her stuff, says, look, your brain, and this will go back to Joe Dispenza too, your brain can't tell the difference between if you close your eyes and imagine something fully dimensional with all your senses and just use your imagination and sit in that reality. Your brain doesn't know the difference of that happening versus it actually happening in physical reality. And right. as we know, when things happen in physical reality, there's 
even if I'm just looking, even if I'm just sort of sitting here and looking around me, there are things that that happen that are an interchange of energy. Sometimes it's photons, sometimes it's electrons, sometimes it's my emotions and my computer starts acting funky. Um, you know, there are people who say computers hate me and, and I hate computers and I hate technology and their stuff always messes up. And I'm like, you know, your brain functions with electrons just like your computer does. Like that's how electricity right. works. That's how the ones and zeros work. If you start saying these things, you create sort of this space around you that's gonna screw up your stuff. So why not just start saying, I love it. And it always works for me. <laughs> um, and Esther Hicks says, you know, 17 seconds is what it takes to actually make that connection with the higher self and, and that energy field to start affecting it. And we, we look at the fact that, okay, I say fact, but to a lot of people, it's not fact. Um, space and time are sort of this concept to us. And in quantum reality, it's like all of space and all of time are happening all at once. Right, right. So right. what you are experiencing is literally just a drop in the bucket and you're going through this stream of experiences till the end of it. And then you're out of that. And it's sort of this little timeline that you can look back and see, okay, well, here's where I, I jumped along all these little um, electrons. And it's, you know, it can almost read like an EKG. That was the EKG of your life. Congratulations. Do you right. want to watch it again? Um, and since there's no real difference, when you concentrate for 17 seconds, and that's what she states, 17 seconds is about what it takes to start making these electron connections. And electrons, when we look at them in chemistry and, and physics, they have a tendency to disappear <laughs> from right. atoms as we're studying them. Like we can see their trajectory. We can see about where they're supposed to go. And then they just happen to disappear from reality. Right. And Einstein said- I can't said, remember who said it, but basically if you shut off the light off a light and you walk into a room and you say, I think that it will be on that table. That's where I'm, I'm thinking that that um, electron is going to be. Then you turn on the light and it's gone because by you thinking it and going to do- you know, look at it, it's changing. It changes. It. Yeah. And, and that that's our power that frankly, that's our superpower because, <laughs> you know, if we can close our eyes and start imagining some of these things, then, you know, through Einstein's spooky action at a distance, we actually start shaping. Um, if time and space are just sort of this nebulous thing that's happening all at once, and this is getting into multi-world theory here, um, weird. We just happen to be experiencing one, but every moment you close your eyes, every moment you picture and make a decision, I'm going to start living this. I'm going to live in this reality. I'm going to shift this in life. I'm going, to, there's a, a, a great meme online where a woman says that she goes into the shower every day, closes the curtain. When she opens the, before she opens the curtain, she says, I am stepping into my reality that, and then she states what is changing. And then she opens the curtain and steps into that reality. And there is no reason that is not true from a scientific right. perspective. When you connect it with the neurons, when you connect it with the electrons, you are literally stepping into that frequency, that zone, that space, that is frankly a, a, a creation of, of you. Right. And, and you know, people say uh, shower thoughts or whatever. It just, it's a perfect place to, to really zone in on, on all of your thoughts. And then like yeah. you said, uh, never thought about that before, but pull back that shower curtain. You're stepping into the reality that you just built up in your head. As long as you can, as long as you're there for 17 seconds, you yes, can start hold on to altering it. that. Right. I, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with, or ever seen the, the movie Kung Fu Panda. Love it. I was watching it, watching it recently with my nieces and nephews. And um, the, the, the one scene it hit me and I was like, wow, it's, 
I don't know what's going on here. I'm trying to figure it out, but um, is it uh, Master Ugwe has the the vision that uh, I forget what his name is is going to escape the prison, and he sends a messenger there, yep. but it, he only escapes <laughs> the prison because of the messenger. So it's like intertangled. I'm like, wait a minute, that's that can that is a great uh, perception of what is going on. Like by you altering your thoughts or altering the future of what's going to happen, your, your current reality. Well, and that's, that's the long time problem. I, I read a series of books called the sword of truth series and it's a, a sci-fi series. I can't remember the author there. I, I know there are 12 books in the original series and now they're up <laughs> to like 18 or 20 books. And I, I just wow. stopped. Um, but there's throughout the entire series, they're like, you know, well, the prophecy says this and the prophecy says this and you have to step into your power and the prophecy da, da, da. and throughout the books, they're like, yeah, but there's a problem with prophecy. And this is what, what everybody says, you know, um, this is the problem with Nostradamus. This is the problem with, with everybody when they're seeing prophecy or viewing it, they're viewing it from, you know, if we've got a pie chart of what the prophecy, here's the prophecy, here's the prophecy pie chart. And Nostradamus sees this 33%. That's great. And maybe if we're stepping into that pie chart in three-dimensional and we're in that three to three percent, we see these giant walls on either side of us going down to a cone in the middle. And, you know, maybe these walls are showing him the vision of what this means and everything. But there's still 60%, 66% of that pie chart that is unknown. How things happen, why things happen, the meaning behind it. Like having a prophecy for anything doesn't mean anything because you don't understand. And frankly, you can't capture the rest of reality. Right, and that's, right. You know, that's and the that challenge with some of that. The, the next, uh, I guess, question for you is, what are your thoughts on, on dimensions? So they say that there's a total of, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, 11 total dimensions. Um, I know that every, most people say 10, um, but I, I've seen that there's 11 is the, the top, or maybe it's 12. I, I can't remember now. Um, but basically, okay. we can only see three dimensions and we can we can comprehend a fourth dimension, but that's as far as we can go. So traditionally in our understanding, and this is based in scientific, not scientific, uh, religious texts going back um, 2000 years in my head, but probably longer than that if I actually try and search into other um, cultures. Creatures, beings, people who try to understand more than this perception of reality tend to not be able to keep their sanity long. Right. <laughs> so there's that. So that, that tells me that, that where we are now, okay, three dimensions is, is, is pretty much where we're at. Although, um, again, this is comes back to, are we defining time as a dimension? Is time the fourth dimension? Or is that just something that we happen to be experiencing in a moment to moment and it doesn't actually exist? Quantum science. Uh, <laughs> right. So 11 dimensions, I believe is basic string theory. And string theory, I don't know. Some people say it's been disproven because, you know, as the, the CERN, um, reactor gets cranked up and breaks down these particles more and more, we're not finding basic little strings that are vibrating in the core of the universe. Nor are we finding particles that represent gravity 
in any real meaningful sort. So, you know, some of these theories are a little bit out there and the math doesn't completely add up with a couple of, you know, unless they throw in like, well, we're going to shortcut this and shortcut this piece. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the math side of guy. I'm more of the, <laughs> the creative thinking and understanding kind of guy. So I don't understand the math, but I get that, uh, you know, I, I get multiple dimensions in, okay. in terms of, um, in terms of what we experience and the potential of what else is out there. And that kind of goes along with that whole idea of, you know, if you're getting, if you're expanding what you are, if you move beyond the body to the energy, then you are bigger than your current self. If you move beyond this body and consider yourself a single cell of an organism that is the earth, then the energy field is greater and possibly the consciousness therein is greater, even though it would have a different goal or orientation than what we would see, then there's no reason that greater levels of consciousness wouldn't grant you access to different levels of dimensions of understanding, right? Right. And, and that, that's sort sorry, of how go I, ahead, go ahead. that's sort of how I look at it is look, it, there's got to be different dimensions going on. I know that there's a lot of um, fifth dimension stuff, like moving from the third dimension to the fifth dimension. Um, okay. And that has a lot to do with, uh, there's a, again, that's the, that woo-woo field. My mom was big in it. So I, I grew up with a lot of that. If you know, the fifth dimension is really un of letting the energy body be part of who you are, part of your intuition, part of your understanding and helping lead you into the places in this life where you are meant to be. Um, right. Sort of like Doctor Who. I can change some things, but some things are fixed in time and space and have to happen. Right. And so multiple things here. One being the... the so I just love dropping Doctor Who in the middle of all that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one thing would be that, you know, they call it the veil, but what we can't see. There's so much more to our world around us, to the universe around us, but we can't see it. And then you know, they, at least the experiences, cause I've never had an experience experience with it. Um, but everyone that has done, um, DMT or mm. even ayahuasca to an ayahuasca. extent, but I think it's mostly, uh, it's the DMT in the ayahuasca mm -hmm. that they say, you know, they kind of feel like they're getting shot out of their body in a rocket ship and it's just their, whatever you want to call it, but their soul, it's just their, their being at its essence, like the energy form mm -hmm. and they don't have a body or anything around them they just they're able to they don't have eyes but they can see everything that's happening and it's all just an energy energy field and you know obviously you feel like one with the, the universe and everything around you but you're also able to see other things that don't make sense to us as humans but you know they said there's other living things in that in those dimensions that we can't even comprehend, um, yeah. you know, and they've tried to sum them up and they tried to give names to them. But, and like you said, you know, people who try to really understand those other dimensions, they, they lose their sanity very quickly. And that's why someone that does uh, psychedelic drugs, especially hardcore, like ayahuasca or DMT too often end up going crazy. Is there, is there a question in there? Uh, I, really I, I guess, in with I, guess I just want to my... give you the opportunity. I guess my question is, what's your, your theory on that? Uh, being able to see through that veil, um, we touched on a little bit in the last episode, but being able to touch, uh, see through that veil and interact with these things that we otherwise wouldn't know existed. 
So I was watching a documentary that was, um, oh gosh, that British guy, Sir David Attenborough. Okay. I think Um, it was on Netflix um, and it was about color in nature. And they, they tried as best they could to show the viewers what the world looks like to like certain types of flies, um, spiders and hummingbirds who detect and see ultraviolet light that we can't see, but they don't have some of the other color recognition. The rods and the cones um, are, are, are different than exactly ours. And then they showed the perspective from a tiger, I believe it was. And the tiger had a red cone and a blue cone, but no green cones in his eyes. So uh, for your audience, uh, red, blue, and green RGB, the same thing that we use on our computers, mimic um, cones in our eyes that detect those colors. And those tend to be concentrated around the iris and the pupil of the eye. Um, at the back side of the eye. And then there's things called rods. And the rods detect um, two different things. One is black and white, and the other is uh, high contrast and motion. And those tend to be uh, in the sclera, the whites part of the eyes, um, and towards the outset. And the, it's uh, when you notice attention at the side of your eye, it's usually the rods that catch your attention. And then the cones help you identify and create contrast with the rods to give you a fuller picture of what that looks like. Okay. Okay. So the tigers... Or maybe it was the gazelle the tiger was hunting. I think it was the gazelle. Okay. <laughs> trying to remember. It's been a couple of months since I watched this. Right. Anyway, what they showed was that th- this creature was the gazelle, only had red and blue. And the green, uh, kind of like your computer screen, kind of like your phones and all that, creates green creates yellow. Like it's that shade in there. And so okay. when the tiger was going through the grass, this creature literally could not see the tiger that was hunting it because it it just didn't have the ability to to perceive that that color right and that you know that made it all the more dangerous because with the stripes in the grass it created the perfect pattern that was very hidden and as people we go well that grass is green and that tiger is yellow and of course it should see that but because of the function of the eyes and the physical nature of how it's constructed it can't see it contrast that with the mantis shrimp who has like oh my god that that animal sees more colors than I I think any other on the planet earth. It has so many different cones and types of of shades of colors. It sees in rainbows in everything, so much subtlety. We have this weird little (laughs) meat suit. And a lot of times this hidden veil, this idea that there's something more is not from what we see. It's sometimes not even what we hear. It's just what we feel. Like we we right. feel that there's something more in there. And when people do drugs, they're tapping into the, you know, these deeper conscious things. And, you know, the, they're tapping into like um, Ram Das and, and his master um, would go and meditate for days and weeks and reach these states of higher consciousness where their energy, their brain waves were doing this crazy gamma frequency for so long, so hard that it like would release natural DMT into their system so they could see right. these things. And that's not really a, a sensory thing. That's a that's a drug-induced thing, but it also tells us that there, there's possibly more out there. 
are you familiar with the work of Dr. David Hawkins? Uh, not, not really, no. Okay. So this guy, I don't think a lot of people are, and it's totally cool. Um, this guy was a clinical psychologist, and he had a couple near-death experiences throughout his life that, you know, in near-death, the DMT, what it does is it, it puts your brain in that same state as near-death. Right. You know, it, it releases the same kind of chemicals. And that's held in the pineal gland in the front of your head, right? Yep. Well, middle of your head, kind of. Is it middle? Okay. They, they always point to it, right? Your third eye, but I guess. Well, it's because it's... it's like, it's right in here, but it's also like right back here. Okay. Okay. So it's in and down. It's really deep in, in kind of the core center of your head, which is the reason it's hard to access these things. But Hinduism, Buddhism, Zenism, like a lot of these are training people to meditate to get to the points of experiencing enlightenment. And enlightenment, right. really, we can look at that you know, there's levels of enlightenment, but the highest form is really this becoming one with everything, understanding everything, experiencing energy, experiencing different worlds, experiencing different types of life. Um, this is is something that is not just woo-woo. This is categorically written about and trained into people and has been for thousands of years. Right. And, and just to real quick, because while I'm thinking of it, um, there was a saying, and I can't remember who it was from, but basically someone said that they were, they were meditating, 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 um, trying all these things years, I think 25 years. So they could fly over or walk on water, whatever it was to get to the other side. Um, and it came up to, I, I want to say it was Buddha. It was like, Hey, look, I figured out how to do this and I can get to the other side now. And Buddha turned to him and said, yeah, but the ferry only costs 25 cents. In other words, like why spend all these years when you can do DMT and get the same, you know, feeling and reaction. Well, but for that, that's, that's great now. Right. Um, and, right. And in, right. And in the, the, the rainforests of South America, you know, ayahuasca has been a healing drug for thousands of years, right? But for most people, enlightenment was sort of this, this joke. It was, it was something, I don't want to say joke, but it was something that was unreal. It was, you know, a master monk. You, you had to climb up that giant hill to reach the sage to figure out what's the meaning of life. And, you know, the monk looks at you and goes, <laughs> right. Do you want a sandwich and some tea on your way back down? You know, it's, it's pretty much it. So Dr. Hawkins, I, I love reading this guy's work. He's had about 12 or 13 different books now. And all the main basic subject. He had several near-death experiences in his life. And it's exactly what you described, where he was taken out of his body. He wasn't part of that, but he still experienced things. And when he thought of people, like he could kind of sense them around him. And he had to make choices. At one point, I think he was like in a car accident and, and covered in snow and left for hours. Um, just really drastic experiences. But he was also a clinical psychologist trained in like treating people in depression and anxiety and like all sorts of really, really tragic stuff. And this guy, kind of like Eckhart Tolle, is one of the few people I know of in our modern everyday culture who experienced as a clinical psychologist, as a doctor later in his life and an atheist to start, experienced enlightenment experienced the higher levels of consciousness and wrote about it in his books and said, look, he created this thing called the, um, the scale of consciousness and okay. using his clinical skills said, look, depression and anxiety, apathy are all down here. But when we reach this point of courage, when we reach this point of, of transformation, then 
something happens in our energy and it's like that flywheel finally gets cranked over and starts moving easier. And then you can move up a level and then you can move up a level. And each level up is exponentially stronger, more powerful, more things that you experience, more things that you see, more things that you can do, more ways that you influence those around you and the world in general. And he documents this in, in several of his books. And all of his books are like different angles. Some of them are very political. Some of them are very helpful. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, because the whole thing is that like when you start getting to the politics of it, that is very much an ego based thing. That is very much a body based right. reality and experience based thing. And while it's great, it doesn't actually help you move through that level of consciousness. It's just really picking on things that bug you. And that's that's the antithesis of really where you want to go with it. Um, right. But the idea that there is this level, this scale and he said, look, when you get to certain levels, you need to take a break from society. You need to come back into yourself. It's, it's just too much for you to interface. And when you get to other levels, um, you just start experiencing random. We talked about this last week, random moments where everything is suddenly clear, where your mind is not saying anything, where you are just experiencing and seeing the cause and effect, pure nature of this flow of life all around you, just cascading and moving. And you can actually move with it more smoothly um, and at higher levels. You see everything and you experience everything and you are just one with everything. Um, and he, I, I recommend reading a couple of his books, uh, The Map of Consciousness, just because it gives you a scale of, okay, what am I actually experiencing? And he is, he like I said, he and Eckhart Tolle are, are only two I know that have the language, the ability, and the... Um, education to be able to document what they experience and share it in a really meaningful way with our modern culture. Right. And it's funny that you, you said this now. So I wasn't aware of this. I wasn't aware of him or his books. Um, but last, last uh, episode, we, we talked about how I briefly mentioned that I joined this mindset um, program, learning yeah. from someone who was explaining everything. And just now I'm putting it together that the scale that they use is exactly the one that you just said, whereas like depression and anger and all, all these things are down here. And then as you move your way up, you know, you, you start basically opening these new experiences to yourself. And now the, the program is for business people mainly um, to get out of your own way and to be able to do what you have to do to level up in your business. But ultimately it's a way of life. And, you know, I've, tried so many different things when it comes to the mind and getting your, your mindset clear, as we talked about last time. I know you don't like that term mindset, but that's cool for, for, for how I'm, I'm using it or, or um, defining it is just your level of being in this moment. You can change that. Um, I've never come across anything quite like this. And the, the mentor that, that teaches this, um, he actually says like, Hey, this was handed down from someone. Um, I can't tell you who it is due to legality issues and stuff. Um, he rather remain anonymous, but this was taught to him by this person and taught to him. And so ultimately that's, you know, that's what it is, the scale, um, and learning how to identify each thing and move on and move up a level and high, you know, if you can stay, uh, I think they said boredom is the lowest level of being okay. Because if you're bored, you're not necessarily down or angry or depressed. You're just bored. So you, you want to. I love boredom. I, I'm just going right. to say this because boredom is the birth of imagination. Right. 
but his point was that if you're in boredom, make sure that you go up and not down because there's a lot of people that when they get bored, when they get bored, they start thinking of negative things or the past mm-hmm. and they go into this, you know, deep spiral down and then they can't get out of it. So, yeah. Um, but it's just, you know, See, uh, things clicking all these months later that you say that and realizing that's what this is. That's how it works. That's, that's how everything works. Like we only understand from the level of understanding that we're at until we learn something more, until we start connecting those neural pathways and those networks. And then we're like, oh, wait, this goes with this. And, right. and that goes with that. And oh my God, it all makes sense now. And, and that's, I love that feeling. <laughs> yeah. And there was just one other question. I know we're going back a little bit, but you were talking about the, the eyes and how we see things. Um, uh, I can't remember his first name, Dr. Alex Huberman. Um, okay. He's, he's big on, on YouTube. Um, he's actually kind of, he's one of those doctors that nobody, anyone in the, the medical field, they kind of push away because they're like, no, what he's teaching doesn't. But what he teaches, just like Dr. Joe Dispenza, no one really views him as a real doctor except for in his circles. That being said, he was talking about anytime that you're feeling anxious or, or overwhelmed, you do this. I can't remember what it's called, but basically you, you take your eyes and you go back and forth very quickly because it, oh, it yeah. does something in your brain. And I can't remember what it is, but just if you could explain that, you know, you obviously have some uh, okay, knowledge so, on this. So uh, the... Oh, I almost had it. What it's called? Rapid eye. <laughs> a couple more letters to the acronym. Um, desensitization, something. So, what happens? And there's a couple different ways to do this. There's a couple different uh, technologies about it. There's a couple. It, it actually goes along with tapping. If you're familiar with um, either uh, free uh, energy freedom tapping technique, something like that. It's like tapping right. on different points around your body. Um, so a lot of these have to do with how your physiology was base programmed for survival and recognizing that even though we've got all of this cool stuff around us and microphones and, you know, we wear clothes and we don't just have to wander around naked and hope for some <laughs> right. cave to hide in. Our base physiology has not actually changed that much and updated with all the stuff that's actually happened to us. And in fact, through the middle ages, like the, the standard quality of living with, for most people was, was pretty low and comparable really with a lot of trauma and, and just living caveman kind of times. So what you would have to do, I mean, if we imagine this as a cave person, this is how I like to think of it. It, it helps me <laughs> if I just step into that role as a cave person. You know, I, I wake up, I yawn, I'm hungry. So I've got to get some, you know, something to eat. I don't know what that looks like, jerky of some kind of beast. Um, but when I step out of my cave, the first thing that I have to do is survey my landscape to make sure it's safe. Right. If I don't do that, there's an anxious part of me that's going to be thinking something is going to attack me. I haven't assuaged my my baser instincts that reptile brain the the base mammalian brain way deep inside here um i haven't said you know we're okay i haven't done a check on the perimeter a lot of the eye stuff is replicating that physiological response of looking around quickly examining everything and okay 
and I'm safe. Okay. I'm, I'm safe. Uh, everything's good. Everything's safe. You can, you, you know, the, the same experience have been done by just telling yourself I'm safe. Everything is fine. I am. It, it, it's, a, it's another way to, I don't like you saying the word hack your physiology, but that's kind of what you're uh, doing. That's, um, uh, Dave Asprey. That's what he says. Hack your, your physiology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he started this whole movement of, you know, hacking your body and hacking all of this yeah. and hacking that. And really, yeah, it's it's sort of doing that in, in a way that's it's how it works. It's how it has worked when we haven't lived in a type of society like this. Right. And what we're rediscovering. Actually, now is a really great time to be alive because we're rediscovering some of these things that people do out of instinct, out of habit and doing research into Oh, you know, this person, when they get really nervous, they look up, they look down, they look left, they look right, they look left and right a couple of times, maybe they turn their head and they start, you know, tapping on uh, the, this spot right up here. Uh, maybe they tap on the side of their head or they press the spot in the middle of their, their hand and, you know, they do it automatically, they feel a draw towards doing it. And that's how medicine started 6,000, 8,000 years ago is, you know, people right. were doing these things and it's like, oh, well, that kind of helps. Well, let's Go ahead and keep doing that. And oh, you did that. Okay. Now, Tom, you know, you saw that tiger yesterday and now you can't seem to calm down. Try flashing your eyes back and forth a whole bunch of times. And your brain gets a ton of signals very quickly of nothing's there, nothing's there, nothing's there, nothing's there, nothing, there's nothing. So if your brain from your eyes, let's say it got that signal of the tiger, launched off your fight or flight system, triggered your, um, triggered your your uh <laughs> oh, come on jeremy it's right there your adrenaline rush which uh takes all your blood floods the center of your body takes it away from your brain and right to the concentration of the brain away from areas like the prefrontal cortex down into the limbic system um so that if you get hurt you're not going to bleed out as easily all the blood is right. in the center uh, maybe your limbs go a little bit numb and now imagine that you have that response, you got away from the tiger, but you can't calm down from that. You continue living through that trauma. You have to tell your system, I'm still alive. I'm okay. And you can do that if you were triggered through sight by doing this neural reprogram in the eyes, you are literally sending signals back into the back of your brain because that's where your optic, ner optic nerves attach, saying nothing's there, nothing's there, nothing's there. And it's sending that signal over and over and over again to basically rewire that emergency response that was like, I have to be on high guard. And that in turn is repeated signals goes back to the, the vagus nerves, um, the ventral vagus nerve being the one that actually goes from the front of the brain to the back um, and the dorsal nerve being, you know, the back down that actually ties into um, the nervous response that's in the adrenals, that's in the kidneys, that's in all that sort of things. Right. And it resets that entire signal that's going to calm you down. That's actually going to take you from the point in your, um, we talked last week a little bit about how, as you grow, you have this, uh, experience that gets broader of what you can take and what you are um, able to, to come up against and overcome and the fear, how it right. doesn't stop you. Well, that would be one of those things. If you were faced with something like that and long-term stress, long-term anxiety is one of those things that is a chronic trigger to the fight or flight system using this eye desensitization, de desens boy, my mouth does not want to say that word today. <laughs> um, using that technique, using tapping, using some of these other things, resets those signals going through our body, even pinching on your ear a little bit um, right in the center. 
uh, that's where vagus nerve connects to. It's all connected, man. So right. it's just triggering your body, telling yourself that it's it's safe to be safe. So what you said that that reminded me of of something that happens to me. Um, you know, when you you kind of that adrenaline rush comes down and and kind of gathers all the blood in the the center of your body. Um, this is going back. Uh, I guess it was fourteen or fifteen. Um, I, I played baseball until I was like nineteen. Uh, yeah, nineteen years old. And so we had tryouts for the the travel team. After all winter, just basically sitting around the house, not doing anything. Finally, I'm at these tryouts, and we're all lined up. And he's going to make a sprint across the the field and back. And so he tells us, "All right, this is what I want you to do." Right away, my mind starts going, "Okay, you can do this. Like you, you got this." Um, even though I haven't practiced or, or uh, worked out. And so that adrenaline took over. I got three steps. When he said go, everyone started running. I got three steps and my legs just, they were like noodles. They just, whoop, and I just, uh, we were playing on turf too. So I hit the turf uh, face down and I just slid the rest of the way. <laughs> um, but I never understood why that happened. I didn't know what happened. But, and sure enough, like two minutes later, all the blood came back and I was fine, but it was the weirdest feeling. I'm like, what, what just happened? Um, people were like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I feel fine. It's just, I had no feeling in my legs. Like we talked about before with the Olympic, with the Olympians, they're scared and they're excited and it can cause the same, exp- same response in the body. You are super excited to just take off and be playing the game and doing the thing. And your body is like, wait, we haven't quite prepped. You haven't quite trained us. We haven't, we, you know, that's, that's the point of training is to, right. to get the body to do what it's supposed to do when those sorts of reactions hit. Right. Um, and then another thing, you know, saying step back into the, the caveman, um, just something that's always been interesting to me. And I, I don't think many people um, really understand it, but I hear people, a lot of people say, the world that we live in is not the same world as the past. And I think they mean that uh, quite literally. Um, And obviously there's the discussion about Atlantis is actually, it used to be the civilization. Now it's buried under however much water and all this stuff, but just looking back at, at movies, even um, like Braveheart or the gladiator or, or uh, movies that, um, like medieval times where they would travel and they would go out and there would be these kingdoms, you know, now everything is colonized and everything is, uh, for the most part, you know, obviously there's still, uh, the jungles of South America and, um, such and, and Africa. Yep, those, those, that's not the way it used to be. Like there aren't any indigenous cultures anymore. We have reached right. out, um, to, to my knowledge, 10 years ago, they reached out to the last known indigenous culture that was right. untouched. They said that they were, they were um, watching them from afar, but they had their own language that no one knew. Um, they were doing things that they were just, no one, they, were, they couldn't believe that there was an actual culture that was still functioning they, that way. But then they, then they uh, breached it. They like Did they that. had they had something happen and they breached that and like okay so there are no more indigenous cultures you know right. and I, I i look at this like the uh the hawaiian culture if you've ever been ever been to hawaii i have not okay beautiful place beautiful place i've been to the big island and i love i love the big island um i feel really 
It's not guilty. It's not hurt. It's not sorry because I didn't have anything to do with it. But when I see what the native culture, Polynesian culture is there, I get sad. Right. That, that's, that's, I guess that's the closest I can say. I get sad. And I've sat through a couple of luau's with the dancing and the music. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun, but I'm a tourist. And I am paying people to, to dance and sing and do, you know, what may have been a, a natural thing once upon a time. And on the big island is the, the um, kingdom city, the forbidden city um, off of Kiela Kakua um, by the Captain Hook monument. Um, it's real close to there. And basically this is like the center of kingdom where, you know, if somebody got in trouble and they could swim or take a boat to, the, to this forbidden city, the king there would say, you made it, you're safe. You don't have to worry anymore. Like the whole culture, the whole idea wow. is, is very powerful. And these were warriors and, and knights in their own regard and sailors and right. um, th their culture. When you read about ancient Polynesian culture, it's friggin' amazing. It's beautiful <laughs> stuff. Um, and then, you know, English, Dutch, uh, how many different cultures just nothing really exists of that native culture and they try they really try to hold on to it but we've done that to everything on this planet we're homogenizing so much of everything in the name of progress right and that's what you know there's a part of me that's like no i mean i find it very interesting and obviously i watch these movies and these shows and and even the history channel has certain shows that they go into detail but it's like you know a part of me is like I love where we live now because we can do anything, you know, anything we realize now that anything that we think we can put into action. Um, but isn't there some part of everyone that just can't get on a horse and just ride or, or whatever that looks for, you know, or travel by uh, camel, whatever, just across the countryside and just keep going until you come across another tribe or another kingdom or what. It just, it, it seems so neat. I mean, obviously it was a much harsher way to live. Um, but We're sissies still, now compared to that. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, okay, so, but, but here's something I want you to think about for a minute. And this is, this is the one that trips me up just a little bit. There is zero way to actually understand comprehend or, or place yourself into the way life was um at any other point in time what i know from polynesian culture is from books that i've read or from you know historians who were so enamored by it that they wrote it down or they wrote it down at the time and carried it forward but that was still from someone's perspective and it missed again it's that that pie that's great they got 33 percent of it there's 66 percent of the rest right. of the culture that i have no idea about <laughs> You were referencing things like Braveheart. I love Braveheart. And, you know, I would love to go back to Scotland and freedom, you know. Right, right. But how much of that is fiction? So exactly. much of what we actually think of as history is highly fictionalized by somebody. Um, ooh, I almost had a good quote for you and I lost it. I'll think of it in a minute. Okay. Um, well, there's just, just to... to ruin Braveheart a little bit for the fans out there. And I was a, a big fan until I read the history behind it. But um, William Wallace was apparently a really not so great dude. 
yeah <laughs> like in the movie it, it makes him to be this this hero and he came in but uh he was just as bad as all the rest of them yeah uh well uh history shall favor us greatly because i am the one who shall write it exactly it uh it um favors the victors it favors whoever writes history it favors whoever oh, writes right, the right. books and records it plain and simple like that that was um winston churchill and the 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 pivotal history of of when he was prime minister and leading britain is all in the series of books that he wrote like that right. is that is the canonical history of of that time because he wrote it right and and that was another thing that when i realized that i mean i guess to an extent we all all know this but we just don't focus on it so it doesn't become real for us but in everyday life you do you could have 10 people all staring at the exact same thing that happened in front of them and you'll get 10 different uh experience you know that's why they say like an eyewitness to uh, a crime scene we have 10 different eyewitnesses you're going to get 10 different stories because everyone's um perception of what happened is completely different so light hitting everybody's eyes reflecting off of whatever happened travels you know at the same speed but hits everyone's eyes at different times so they see it literally differently in terms of the order of events sound travels differently as it bounces off of different objects and into everyone's ears and then as we talked about last time the reticular activating system here's all of reality this is what filters down so that i perceive based on what i believe in my values about life drastically changes everything that happens plus my emotional state maybe i'm not right. in an emotional state to actually catch it it's just that's where i say reality is not objective it is a subjective experience it is your experience in this body happening for you and happening for me and hopefully like this we can find commonality and kind of like meet in the middle and go hey how's your reality going man is it good today <laughs> right on right you know if you you say that you go out on the street and you just say that people are going to be like whoa uh are you i good? have <laughs> I, i'm a weirdo to some people and that's totally right. cool by me because that's just how I see things. Right. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> I, I can imagine though, just saying that and, and the people looking at you like, you're either a stoner or you're just way out there and, and whatever, because those are the types of people that say things like that and bring that attention. So, and, and going back to um, what you were saying, you know, what being in love, but not necessarily being in love, um, you know, human, the human, but like having a, a pet that you, you love and you share this um, emotion with, um, especially under the influence of uh, marijuana or I guess other things as well, <laughs> like uh, shrooms. Um, but it's almost like you start to begin to think and feel like you can connect uh, for me with my dog um, or any other animal on a different level, like uh, understanding, like look without speaking, without things that they're saying, just by looking in their eyes or the way that they're looking at you or the way okay. that they're positioning. Humans for our survival are designed for pair bonding through this, whatever process that got us to where we are. Back to that caveman brain, it drove 
cultures, uh, Neanderthal, Denisovian, like all the different human cultures, sapiens. Right. Um, it drove them, and that's part of that prefrontal cortex, the, the the recognition of others, the mirror neurons that tell us, okay, what is somebody feeling? The whole idea of reciprocity. I do something for you, you do something for me? Question mark. Like right. Um, we are are designed to be social. It is how we support each other. It's actually how we feel better about ourselves. It's how we feel better about our society, our life. We are designed to pair bond. If we don't have someone or something or that we feel a lack in a certain area, and this can actually have to do with how we were raised and the traumas we experienced, we find objects or animals or other things to pair bond with so that it fulfills some of those obligations in our neuropsychology. You know, I, I tend to think of Castaway where Tom Hanks is pair bonding with Wilson, the volleyball. Right. Like right. we find things. And then, um, you know, he assigned human characteristics to Wilson. My cat, I will tell you, when she's like, Meh, I'm like, oh, you're hungry? okay, yeah, I will go ahead and take care of you. Or, right. oh, what's wrong? Did you do something? Oh, your nails caught on the carpet. Like I have gotten to the point that I can interpret and that's just it. It's an interpretation of familiarity because I've pair bonded with my pet. And right. that doesn't require, to me at least, doesn't require marijuana or anything else. It's like, that is just, <laughs> that is just part of who we are. We see faces in things because our psychology wants to see faces. We see people, we see recognition because that's how our mind is actually trained for survival. A lot of these base neur neural networks um, come from the first three years actually of, of life, of growth. Oh, um, I am a tiny baby. I am lying. I am hungry. And I can't do anything. I can't move. So I'm going to cry because it's all I've got to communicate. Right. Right. And then this thing appears above me. It's got two eyes, a nose and a mouth. It could be a horse. That could be a dog. It could be uh, my grandparents. It could be pretty much anything. But we, we learn and we train ourselves um, sometimes, sometimes often unconsciously to, right. to pair bond with these things, because early on, this is how we get care. This is how we get attention. This is how we get what we need for our survival because we come out half-baked and we pick up the rest of it as we're going. Right. And let me correct myself and say that, um, especially after everything that you just said, the drugs just intensify it oh, um, because it's, it's speeding up your brain and slowing down your reality around you. And then you can sit there and be like, oh, I understand that. Like, I thought I had this connection with you on this level, but now it goes even deeper. It it creates the space. That's that's how I look at it. Like um, substances like that create the space for your brain to fill in all of the other things that that it may not regularly right. notice. Okay, that makes sense. And actually, okay. I kind of feel like alcohol does the same thing. Like for some people, it creates the space for them to actually enjoy themselves. For some people, it creates the space for internal anger, anguish, and uh, turmoil to present itself. Um, it, it's all the stuff is really just creating space, which becomes more than a reaction than a response. It, it, it's something we just start right. to go with because we don't think about it and respond. We just react. Right. Um, okay. So I have one more topic that I would like to touch on before wrapping up. Um, but before I get into it, I just want to turn it over to you. And is there anything else that you would like to add any topics that you would like to talk about? 
<laughs> so for your audience, I'm going to plug myself for a moment. Uh, just because, uh, you know, we talk about mindset, we talk about how the brain works, we talk about perception, we talk about um, feelings, emotions, how we are trained. I use all of this stuff in branding and marketing. I use all of this stuff to help people create logos that grab attention, to create websites that actually like deliver and, and create leads or get people to sign up and book because... On, on top of all of this stuff that I'm sharing with you, and it's sort of, I know it feels like piecemeal all over the place, but it certainly has like a unified concept behind it. Right. Like my base training is as a fine artist. I went to fine artist high school. I graduated valedictorian from fine arts high school. And in fine arts, in studying the humanities and history of art, it's all about getting people to look at a painting or a sculpture, you know, drawing their eye, creating attention and pushing and pulling their in their it's frankly manipulating how people experience something. And then when I went to design school, it was the same thing. Oh, you get them to read the headline first and then the subheadline and then the next line and put the picture here because if you put it too big, it's going to take away the attention. So everything that I'm talking about, I use to help my clients in their business get better business. Right. And if I had known that, that it wasn't explained to me it was it was always there but it wasn't explained to me if i had known that that's what uh fine arts was i would have gone to fine arts high school and you know uh i guess grad school and and stuff like that i would have been excellent at it i didn't know that was an option <laughs> unfortunately yeah a lot of people don't and the education that i had really uh particularly in art history looking at um the evolution of, of even the caves of Lac at Lascaux, which are, are cave paintings on the ceilings that are prehistoric. Um, and we've discovered cave paintings like that in South America now that actually predate Lascaux, um, that feature bears and horses and all these other animals. Okay. Like this is people perceiving and shaping their reality by depicting animals in their time. That, that is sharing reality. That's what you and I are doing right now. We're sharing a moment of reality, sharing our perceptions of what we think and how we feel and, and what we understand about how others see that stuff. Man, it, it's awesome. This is the core of the yes. heart of being human and this experience to me. And I, I love it. It, it. It's just such a shame when someone says, I don't have time for that. I don't have the luxury to slow down and think about why things or how things became or how they were handed down because I'm too busy working this job or I'm too busy doing this or that. That it's is why I exist. Plain <laughs> and simple. I have done that work. I, I've got a master's degree. Like I have done this. I've been living in it since I was in middle school. Um, and then getting to the point of understanding like the brain and the mind and the phys I've taken so many human physiology courses. So I understand like not just the mentality of it, not just the psychology of it, not just the mental reprogramming aspect, but also I, I talk about quantum science enough and chemistry and physics and all that, <laughs> but also how it affects the body. And, you know, if we wanted to talk about um, acupuncture and five element theory, I could go into that. Uh, th there's lots of different aspects that when we start studying how influence happens on people and then how we can use just a fraction of that knowledge to help someone feel more confident in their business, present themselves more confident. I actually look at what I do as a law of attraction type thing, because if I create a logo and a website for someone and, and I'm a typical, if I were a typical agency, I'd say, great, let me go ahead and design your brochure, design your website, design your logo. And then I'd send someone off and maybe they would be successful. Maybe they wouldn't. 
Right. But if I do that and then I sit down and say, okay, let's have a couple of sessions of coaching. Let me work through some of the subconscious reprogramming. Let's bring up your mindset. Let's look at the challenges that you're facing. And I reframe some of that. Suddenly, the, the marketing that we've created, the branding that we've created is like, all you have to do is in here and in here say, this is me, not whoever this was before, not the challenges, right. not any of that. I'm now going to live this. And by having this reality out in the world, I'm already presenting the world with the reality of who I am and who I am choosing to be. That's just law of attraction, waiting for people to resonate with that and come to you for that service, whatever you're offering. Right, right. And so after this next topic, I'm going to turn it back over to you to let people know where to find you again, um, okay. what, what you're offering exactly, um, and where, you know, because, I mean, I know I'm the one talking to you here, but for any listener, like if I was listening to this, I'd be like, okay, where, where do I sign up? Because you obviously know what you're talking about. <laughs> so... I just, you uh, gave me an opportunity. So I was going to throw in a plug and just kind of wrap it all yeah, back into yeah. what I do. Yeah. And it, that was done perfectly. <laughs> Super. Um, so what do you got? Hit me with so, the last one. I can't wait. Last one is, you know, there's, I guess you could say uh, arguments about whether or not the Egyptian culture was actually more uh, sophisticated, uh, more improved than we are today. And so going back to that, I want to keep that in mind and then also say, look at um, the work of Nikola Tesla um, and what he was working on right before he died, um, which was later found out that all of his work, um, all of his documentation, everything in his lab was confiscated by the CIA. Um, the last project that he was working on, there was it's not talked about very often, but there, where he was in the, the area that he was working um, in his lab, there was a earthquake to an extent. Um, everyone came running out and they said, what, what is, go what is this? And he said, oh, it was an earthquake because he wanted to hide what he was doing because it wasn't ready because he realized that the vibration, it was a, a essentially a, a vibrational tool that he realized that, um, and correct me if you know I'm, I'm stating this wrong um but basically depending on the vibration it had the ability to basically crack the earth in half or, or in, in pieces um depending on the frequency of the vibration um so i guess my the, it's not really a question here but basically where is your standpoint or, or where's your uh your your views on this you know the egyptian culture and how far they have come and were they actually um, you know, way ahead of where we are right now. And then also things like that we are hearing about and seeing today, um, such as UFOs that we can't understand that they defy gravity because they can go up and down in, in milliseconds. But when you learn more about it, it could very well just be the CIA with technology that they have created or uh, found out from the Do you believe creations that? of... I'm open to anything <laughs> from Tesla, um, from certain things that he realized, like between the pyramids, um, the, the, the math behind it, the uh, quantum physics behind it. Um, so, yeah, I just want to hear your, your theory on all of this. Okay. 
go oh boy you just opened the pandora's box and i love it i love it that's why we're finishing on this one this one's gonna be yeah yeah so you you just left me like five topics to touch on so i'm trying to prioritize in my head okay where do we go with this um let's start with tesla okay okay um because i friggin love tesla um this is a guy that came up with a more efficient way of dealing with power and took it to um come on jeremy his rival uh bell bell um, thank you yeah i was gonna say the Alexander telephone bell yeah um <laughs> ac versus dc right and mm -hmm. niagara falls is based in tesla's technology tesla uh had a tower in i think it was upstate new york maybe it was rhode island um okay that like shot lightning people would say it shot lightning bolts up into the clouds like all the time and about that same time it was said that he actually had a car that was an electric car that he built mm -hmm. that had a, like a little cylinder key that he put in and then like there was no power in it whatsoever but the alternating current clocked with that electric tower and gave it its energy to run they say that he had experiments that he put uh, in in uh, colorado that he put light bulbs into the ground and somewhere where he was pulsing energy into the ground and the air and using the ionosphere lit light bulbs in the ground with no wires between them that was in the movie uh they uh portrayed that in the movie um the prestige that's right very good um but I mean, there's there's so many stories, you know, that he, he designed a death ray at one point. And uh, yeah, he studied vibrations. He said, look, if I if I find the right vibrational pitch and I create a machine that does this vibrational pitch and I put it on, you know, it's got a little tuner on it. And I put this on a bridge. I can tune into the frequency of the bridge that deharmonizes that bridge because that little vibration all of a sudden causes bigger vibrations in the bridge. And if it's enough of that, it will collapse. And they've done small experiments with this that the bridge hasn't collapsed, but it certainly started like making noise enough that right. on a subtle level, it is shaking from a very small machine. And we, we see these experiments all the time where people uh, will hold like a, a pitchfork next to a couple of ping pong balls that are suspended and they'll strike another pitchfork and nothing happens. And then they'll strike the same vibrational pitch of pitchfork and those two balls start vibrating off of this uh i say pitchfork but uh, tuning fork is what i'm trying to say yeah right um <laughs> totally different thing different. Yeah. um pitch fork pitch tune you get it um yeah. so we we understand that vibration and frequency plays a huge factor in this stuff now tesla is is an interesting case because he says a lot of his concepts ideas came to him while he was like out in the park and feeding pigeons and came to him in a burst of light um which you know i, I love the woo woo community they're like look that is a light download that is literally <laughs> a higher source a higher frequency a quantum energy of knowledge that is in the so-called akashic record which if we think of akashic record and we think okay the world the universe that giant consciousness is a matrix of information and light is a transferable source of that information 
so that every every time you're seeing light, it's presenting information to you. As you are looking at me, you're receiving light in your eyes. It's showing you what I'm doing on my side of the screen, for example. Right. So the Akashic record at that point is really just the matrix of the universe and somebody tapping into it. It's just everything in all time, because that's quantum theory. Everything is happening all at once, except for right. you. It's just a moment of time because that's this experience. So he had these multiple download moments throughout his life that came up with these grand ideas, including the the um, the triangulate of three, six, and nine, that when he started playing with numbers in his head, he's like, okay, one plus one is two, two plus one is three, three plus, like he had this whole little mathematical configuration that looked a lot like a Mobius strip. Only right. three, six, and nine never fit in the Mobius strip. All these other numbers like touched themselves, but three, six, and nine would only duplicate within themselves. That gets to be a little sociopathic, a little obsessive compulsive when you start to really play with it. So I don't right. recommend anybody going too deeply into that. But there's something really fascinating about um, the 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 holy triad, uh, you know, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you know how many times triangles and you know all these other things, uh, the six sided star, the the Jewish uh, star, uh, star of David. Um, yeah. But it, even before common culture understood that that was used in ancient Britannia that was used in in ancient uh, Babylon as other symbols you know we've stolen these symbols and updated them throughout time right not to go to da Vinci code on you um <laughs> sometimes being an artist and understanding this stuff it's like symbology sort of pops out at me left and right and I'm trying to understand the semiotics what do they mean now versus what they did mean and how does that carry over so could could Tesla have developed an earthquakey machine? Absolutely. Uh, do I think the the CIA took a lot of his materials? Probably. Um, do I think he had access or discovered information that nobody else was able to do? Absolutely. AC versus DC proves that, and and Bell did it by a laboratory full of scientists just cranking through experiment after experiment after experiment after experiment, testing things. I mean, the light bulb is great but he went through thousands of tests to get there tesla i'm was sorry like, not not alexander graham bell is one of them the other one is uh edison edison thank you yes just that's the one we're trying to talk about yes yes <laughs> see we start going and it's like let's, let's talk about the right people yeah. um tesla started working for edison is that correct and then he just didn't put any of his own stamps on anything and edison stole them well more or less he wanted to work for Edison more, but Edison's a businessman. Right. That's the reason he right. hired all of the all of the scientists to do this stuff for him. He's like, I've got an idea. This is the end I want. Uh, figure out how to do it. Right. So he was the Elon Musk of that time. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And right. this is not unique. I mean, if we go back to the Middle Ages into all of the, the, the priories of monks copying illuminated manuscripts, somebody said, look, we need to have this. This is going to be important. All of you are now the people who are going to copy all of these by hand. <laughs> and, and there's the few of them that actually stand out in history because the, they ended up drawing beautiful um, characters and dragons and telling the stories with the text. And that would be our Teslas today because Tesla looked at some of that business stuff and said, I'm not a good businessman. He was never a good businessman. You know, <laughs> he died. He basically died a pauper, uh, but he still had all these ideas. 
And would it make sense that the government would take those ideas? Absolutely. I mean, better that than they fall into somebody else's hands. Um, and the government has always wanted to to prosper and make make good for us as a country. Just gonna. <laughs> It's well, a real fine we'll line we'll there. Just, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, that was their uh, initial intention. We'll, we'll say that. The founding fathers had the idea of starting a country that was grounded in the idea of enlightenment, not in superiority. So, Egypt. Um, <laughs> so, Egypt, Atlantis, Lemuria whether or not those two are the same thing. Um, uh, Babylon. How many others can we actually wrap in there? There's a lot of technologies that seem cuckoo to us now right. that somehow they managed it and we can't see it. We can't replicate it. We can't understand it. Because if we can't see it and we can't replicate it, then we can't understand it. Sometimes there is um, a written story about something that happened. And we try to look into it and it just still seems preposterous because we want to understand how, but it's a story. You know, how much of that pie is actually being right. shared, right? I'm glad right. we started with that analogy because it really <laughs> wraps into a lot of this again. For example, ancient Buddhist monks are said to have been able to move several ton boulders through vibration they would sit and chant and have these giant horns and blow on the horns and chant at the same time and send these several ton boulders flying through the air to land in a very specific spot they had the math worked out they knew it and they used vibration and sound to make this work this was this was documented and shared in the story through uh the 1800s and Speaking of vibration and, and different frequencies, um, you know, they say that's through vibration um, and also through uh, audio frequencies that there is a way that you can actually cure cancer. I mean, we talked about this last episode through, you know, but why isn't this not a, a big thing? Why is it not in public? Well, because they're making billions and billions of dollars off of pharmaceutical drugs and whatever. Well, that's a, a different topic. Well, let me let me ask you couple of questions because again if we're talking about vibration if we're talking about frequency at what level is it like through the vocal level is it through the cellular level is it through the atomic level again we're getting right back down to that universe consciousness uh quantum right. science uh matrix concept right right um it, it that's it all kind of ties back to uh, what level are we talking about of course it's all vibration it's it's all everything everything and it's all consciousness. It's just your position, your 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 approach to it, which means you are God and I am God and everybody is God. And, you know, the chair is God and the cat is God. And because it's all just part of experience and we're all here to just keep experiencing it. As we experience it, we create this wonderful three-dimensional reality. If you happen to, and I, I, I say this with the greatest lightness of don't do this, this is not you. If you happen one day to have cancer, is your first stop to say, I'm going to go to my doctor and have him cut it out of me, or I'm going to find something that does some sort of frequency something and, and believe enough in energy healing to let this happen? 
definitely that one. See, I think you're a rarity in America. Most people, when things like that happen, they go, well, what the first thing they say is I don't feel good. And I, okay, I need to take a step back before I approach this because this is actually um, the healthcare system is something that I'm familiar with. My wife is a doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine practicing right. in a couple different hospitals in the Seattle area. We have these discussions about healthcare a lot. The first thing that happens is you go to the, some typical person goes to a doctor and says, I don't feel good. What's wrong with me? We want to know why we don't feel good. That is something going on with our heads. We need the why. They hear something like cancer and there's a fear response immediately because for most people, cancer means death sentence. That is not right. necessarily true in our society, but for most people, we've moved through this plague of that is the final outcome of it. Well, let me tell you, death is the final outcome of all of this. So if you're fearing it from that, you might as well fear it from crossing the street in front of a bus or, you know, your dog running out in traffic and all of it. We don't get out of this life alive. Right. So it's the experience you have and the experience you choose to have while you're doing it. But a lot of people want to know the why, and then they get afraid. And as you recall, one of the first things that happens when you get afraid is you lose contact. The ventral vagus nerve loses contact with the prefrontal cortex. We aren't making choices. We are living reactionary. So it's, well, what do I do next? What happens right. next? What do I do here? And well, we'll sign you up for chemo. Uh, we'll go ahead and, and pump you full of these toxic things that hopefully kill it and target it. Luckily, we have a lot better science these days, um, including viruses now that target cancer and train the body to actually increase uh, T-cell production and to target those cancer cells because we learned that there's a DNA mutation in those cancers that right. really, when we look at cancer, it is a mutation of, of your body. And DNA, when it replicates, it double checks itself through uh, telomerase. And, the, these, these, and, <laughs> and if it doesn't have enough telomerase because of stress, anxiety, depression, drugs, uh, abuse, trauma, then that cell is more likely to mutate. And if it mutates and it doesn't get double checked, when it double checks, by the way, it's called apoptosis. It's cell death. It kills that cell. If it can double check it and it's wrong, it kills it. That's right. our bodies. We're so good at that. But if it can't check it, then that cell has a chance to replicate itself and replicate itself and replicate and keep going. That that's cancer. That is a natural process of our body of living and breathing and doing what we do. So that that's, I mean, and telomerase, by the way, we're learning in all the great science these days, you can increase that through meditation. You can increase right. that through proper nutrition, through exercise, through good levels of stress, which would mean um, pushing yourself just enough. Like we can increase our ability to double check. And that actually is saying, hey, we should be able to increase our ability to reduce the chance of cancer too. Just That's one little thing right? to, to throw in here. And this is so one that saying, you know, as soon as you hear the doctor say cancer, you go into reaction, uh, reactionary stage rather than um, a great movie that portrays us. And it's actually a really good movie. It's just very sad. Um, is 50-50 with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and oh, Seth Rogen. Great movie. Um, and, and when he goes in and he hears the first thing he hears is cancer and he zones out, you can hear the doctor talking in the background, but he didn't retain anything. Um, so that, but also um, 
based on true story, by the way. Yes, yes. And and getting into a, a little bit, I'm I'm not promised myself I wouldn't go into this. Um, but a little bit of a conspiracy theory here. Uh Steve Jobs had cancer. He was diagnosed with cancer at 21, 22. Okay. About and he lived until he was what 40 some so um with cancer. And what he did was he just cut out red meat, he started eating uh changed his diet. Um what ultimately killed him was chemo. And the only re if he hadn't gotten the chemo, he probably would have prolonged his life and lived a full life. Um, now where the conspiracy part comes in is that they they say that he, they wanted him out and they got his wife to convince him into that she got very worried about him and convinced him to take the chemo. And that's what ultimately let sped up the production of the um cancer cells and then ended his life. Um, but there's there's stories on both sides here. Yeah. That okay, so I've been an Apple fanboy since I was super. Of course, again, middle school fine art. Like we we started using computers in fine art. Uh, apples, of course, because those were what was the thing. Um, I've been trained on apples my entire life, making art. Um, right. You know, apples were the first machines that really allowed to visit easy video editing and like all sorts of this cool stuff that people now kind of take for granted because it's on their phone. Um, Apples were the first to do that, and he had the vision for it. So I've always been a little bit of a Steve Jobs fanboy, and I know that there are myths of all different things around him. What I what I recognize is that he went on a spiritual journey in, you know, I would say in college, but I mean dropped out of college, um, and really chose his own path. He had this this high fruit diet through the early days of apple like fruit was all he would eat um he to the point that he became malnourished multiple times um and really? yeah uh later in life um he still he didn't do quite as much of that but he just he chose to live life on his terms which okay i i love that whatever whatever case there is to be made he chose to live life on his terms um it, including leasing different Mercedes every month so that <laughs> he didn't have to pay the, the licensing fees. Cause for 30 days, you can get away with not having tags on your car. So he right. just changed his car out every 30 days, live life on your own terms. That, that's what it yeah. is. Right. Um, you, you can be who you are and just embrace it 100% because that's how you actually stand out and live the life you want. Um, I know that his last couple of years of life, he advanced the science of cancer dramatically okay because he pushed for gene sequencing that wasn't around yet he donated a ton of money for them to like understand what types of cancer had what types of genes and how they were shifting and he was one of the pioneers of getting like early early um i don't remember i can't remember what the 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 process is called but like really targeted gene dna therapy on cancers like uh if, if, if you've put there's one that i remember at the time i think this is one he had where you had, they had gold particles in an injection and the injection was targeted to the dna of the cells of the of the cancer and the gold when it hit that they superheated it and basically exploded the cell right like that's that's one thing but now they've got that like to the nth degree like we, we've come so far and actually there's a ton of it that is because of him because of his wealth, because of his ability to invest, because of 
fear of death. I mean, honestly, um, and his right. willingness to say, okay, let's, let's do these things. I want to see where it goes. He advanced the science behind that stuff an easy 20 years, easy 20 years. And where we are now is really due to where he kind of put it. Right. But as far as uh, fighting something for his whole life, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't there. I didn't experience, but I know that he had a lot of challenges in his body that he mitigated by his diet choices, by his lifestyle right. choices, and by his uh, sleep patterns. <laughs> right. Uh, so where were we before we went down this rabbit hole? Uh, I believe we were back. Oh, yeah. Egypt and the vibrations and, and ancient. Um, so ancient monks would move the, the giant boulders. So with I, vibration. I, I tend to think that there is a science, there is a, <clears throat> um, a concept that we have missed, that we are not privy to, that um, is basically the equivalent between the horse and the, the first automobile. And, you know, maybe we've all gone down this automobile route and maybe ancient technologies had more of like the horse that they super updated and upgraded and was like <laughs> a horse with more horsepower. <laughs> Henry Ford said, you know, if I asked people what they, what they wanted out of, out of company and out of transportation, they would say, I want a faster horse. So he made him right. a car, right? right? That's the famous quote. Like people don't know what they want until they get that solves all the problems. And then, Oh, that's it. I, I think that there's a lot of technology, a lot of processes, a lot of things that happened before our ability to research and understand and know that we miss out on and that frankly are probably a little bit better for the planet that's my that's my concept is it right, got to be right. better for the planet it's got to be better for the environment it's got to be better for this stuff i don't actually know um the, there's still stories I mean, it, it would make sense that it would be a more natural way because that was the resources that they were dealing with yeah, whereas except, except we're talking about atlantis and lemuria as part of that same thing like they if everybody had this technology and they misused it and the land sunk <laughs> true like there, <clears throat> there's challenges to everything here and and we don't know what that is you know when you when you remember that what we see in museums of dinosaurs is not the dinosaur it's not the dinosaur's bones it's the minerals that went in and replaced the dinosaur's bones we're looking at a mirror of a mirror of a thing like right. that's how we're looking at all of the past we don't know and so much of what we think we it's from pictures, it's from deductions, and they're not great deductions. We, as people, we don't deduce well because we base it on our experience, our knowledge, and what we see now. That's how we relate to the past. And there's, again, the pie. We're at the 33%. What is the rest of the 66? I think that there's probably technologies out there. And I was going to say, Edgar Casey said um, in some of his stuff, uh, if you're familiar with Edgar Casey at all, the sleeping prophet, this guy like would go into like a meditative state and then say all sorts of things that either came true or sometimes he would help people find things in their house that he had no way of knowing where it was like, <laughs> okay, some crazy stuff. Um, but he, he said, look, there, there's still some of this technologies. There's still libraries available. The library of, of Alexandria, like may have burnt up at one point in time, but there's still copies underneath the 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 sphinx in egypt like there's a huge library okay. connecting underneath egypt that the sands have just covered and buried that we haven't yet even discovered yet and it's sometime in the future we'll finally figure that out and people there's look at also this. 
the 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 um library in the uh basement of the vatican that no one is allowed to to enter um, yeah well it was okay so if you collected stories over the last 2000 years that were either supporting or breaking down what you wanted people to believe i would put them i don't know about you i'd put them in a vault where it was really limited I right. wouldn't want people access to that. You know, the, the Council of Nicaea said, okay, this is what the Bible is going to say. Here's the first part. Here's the second part. Oh, we're going to trash these couple of other stories because that kind of conflicts with some of it. And, you know, they chose what goes into the Bible. They chose the story that they wanted to tell and translate that ended up moving forward through, you know, and, and then they said, okay, well, the clergy only speak in Latin. So the common people don't actually understand what's in the Bible. They're just, you know, it became an object of control throughout history this is our challenge is moving through control versus respect versus knowledge and experience we're, we're we're grateful now at least i'm grateful now to be living in a time where information is much more free that doesn't mean it's true that means that right. there's a huge possibility of things and in quantum science if anything that i've learned it's that observation makes particles change from waveform to particle it literally pulls it from a quantum field of it can be anything to it was this at the moment it is observed and it's observed when it goes in, hits the brain and the brain says, oh, that's that. OK, but that works backwards in time as well. You can observe something now that happened back then and. You don't know whether it happened then, but because it happened, then you observe it now a certain way, you're actually like changing the past events and quantum science says, look, when you observe something moving forward in time, you you adapt and you change it and moving backwards in time because you are just one spot and everything around you is energy in any way. It's just vibrating energy. Right. So I say, why not? In the past, yeah, they had great technology and it was better than ours and it was clean and was easy and everybody had access to it. Would that kill all of our energy today? Well, a lot of corporation, corporations would crumble, but you know what? I choose to believe that it was back there because maybe that quantum entanglement means that some point in the past, it actually does happen, which means at some point in the future, we'll find it and use it. Right, right. Using that theory, uh, your thoughts on things that are known as fairy tales, uh, giants, dragons, you know, we touched on dinosaurs, you know, there's, a whole school of <laughs> belief against dinosaurs that they were just a creation of someone's imagination um, that they never actually lived, which personally, I don't believe that um, personally. I mean, look at the alligator and the crocodiles they're they've been around how long, you know, the scientists have proven. So look at birds, they're basically a form of uh, birds. They're, they're a form of dinosaur. It's just, I read an article yesterday that said that depending on the species of dinosaur, it was either cold-blooded or warm-blooded. The, the recent ability to look into, um, I don't even know what they're looking into now. And it, it's just astonishing to me. Right, right. You know, but, but enough of it is saying, look, maybe the T-Rex was warm-blooded. Maybe some of these other creatures were warm-blooded. And it has less to do with them being like similar to um, alligators and crocodiles, which is a very Aristotelian way of looking at it. They're green, therefore they must be the same. 
and is much more a way of saying birds, their feathers, their bones, their structure, their brains have a lot more in common with what we see in this in the 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 fossil record of dinosaurs than maybe even crocodiles. So you know maybe right. they're more tied in and 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 that kind of blew my mind. Okay, great, dinosaurs can be warm blooded. Awesome, that explains not a whole lot to me because I don't understand <laughs> dinosaurs. Uh, right. But I love dinosaurs. The kid, I loved dinosaurs. Um, but I, not but, and I see no reason in any way that any of that stuff has to be pure fantasy. Right. There are fossil records, bone records of islands um, near Australia, down, down yonder, um, of people that got trapped on the island. The resources were sparse. They were trapped with these pachyderms, these elephants. And over hundreds of years, both the people and the elephants shrunk. They became hobbit-like and dwarven. And uh, that's a... Um... Uh, there's a name for that uh, when you put something a creature or you know human animal in a smaller area they become small and when you put them in a bigger area they grow large as long as they have enough food and resources to maintain them yeah right absolutely and that's just you know it's part of the the cycle the way that that life functions um we we adapt we we change we shift we grow uh, we face our fears and our challenges, and we figure out how to survive with it. That's that's the remarkability of being human um, and right. actually being alive because the elephants, it happened with them too. Um, now, is in ancient China, 10,000 BC, 15,000 BC, um, 10,000 BC would be like Confucius. So moving even before that, could there have been some sort of giant serpent lizard that inspired dragons? Why not? Why not water lizards? Sure, why not? Would we know about them? Maybe. We still we still debate Loch Ness monster that could easily be something like that. That uh, heaven knows, but th there's lots of. We actually have a limited access to fossil records. The things that we see, that paleontologists, that historians, okay. that they grab is really, really limited from the reality of what happened. And we make a lot of guesses into it. And based on those guesses, I see no reason why, oh gosh, that pie is just a really great metaphor for this entire conversation today. <laughs> it really because, is. Because everything we see is just stuck in that 33%. That is that is our, our personal view, our perception as, as human, humans, um, trying to look at everything we've experienced through time to define who we are and what reality is, there's so much of the rest of it that we just have no clue. And I don't know that we ever will. We'll just kind of keep guessing, at least in our lifetimes. Um, right. I, I kind of hope that maybe we we reach some aliens that go, oh, hey, we've got the hidden, we've got another book. You want volume like uh, 0.5? You want the prequel? We'll be happy to show you what happened because <laughs> we visited and, you know, here you go. I would love that. Right. I think most people would. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think um, 
I think a lot of the world is reflecting on that map of consciousness again. I think a lot of the world is stuck below the point of courage, below the point of, of self-acknowledgement. And I think that the majority of the world is suffering in pain and delusion and struggle because it, it, it's this feeling of apathy towards others, towards themselves, and you know, maybe depression and anger at the world around them. And that prevents a lot of people. It, it becomes very focused on survival. And I feel like a majority of the world is is really stuck in that that place. And I know I can see our our, our connections flowing in and yeah. out. Um, hopefully this will be okay. Uh, yeah. That's why I wanted to record to my computer this time because I think that the, <laughs> that audio will be captured. Yeah, I think so. Uh, well, then, I mean, unless you have more to add, I would say let's wrap it up with that and give one piece of advice to everyone you know like you said everyone's living in that lower on the scale what is something that everyone can do one action or or maybe multiple actions that everyone can take right now in their everyday life day to day that would improve their overall well-being honestly um and strive to make the world you know baby step the world to that better place that unified place Okay, so uh, okay, real, real, real quick. Uh, is it okay if I swear? Go ahead. Okay, there's a guy I've been following on Facebook. Uh, his name is Kerwin Ray. He's out of uh, Australia, and he's a, he's a business consultant. And I actually like I I don't know the guy. I just seen some videos, and I continue to watch some videos, and. Honestly, I would love for my my branding company to sort of be the same kind of consulting thing as him. He's very inspirational. And he talks a lot about processing in the mind. We He and I, we jive on that kind of stuff. It's right. the same kind of stuff. Um, and he, in one of his talks says, look, I've trained myself to recognize when that expression of fear hits me. And there are rational fears and there are irrational fears. A rational fear is, you know, don't push me off of the bridge when I'm standing on the edge. That could kill me or at least hurt me. That's a rational fear. An irrational fear is um, I can't stand up in front of people and speak. Well, my advice is as much as possible, choose one thing that you feel that irrational fear against and tell yourself, fuck fear. Just fuck fear and move into it expand your ability to live life, expand your ability to experience life, step into failure, honestly, step into everything that is that, and then learn from it. There might be a little bit of pain, but you know what? Experience minus pain equals wisdom. So step into it, learn what you can learn, fuck fear, Once one thing a day, that's it, just one thing a day, start transforming your life by choosing that one thing that kind of makes you nervous, kind of makes you hesitate, and just fucking do it, fuck fear. And take that step because that's transformative in life. Right. And and that gets you more clear even on the, 
the things that are rational, that the, the rational fear, um, when that comes up, the more that you can get, uh, not, I guess, ultimately get rid of that irrational fear towards things makes you become super clear on uh, rational fear, um, whatever that might be. So it's, um, I can't remember who told the story, but basically they train the military, they train the police. If someone approaches you with a gun or you're held up at gunpoint, 90% of the population would cower away and get super afraid and say, what do you want? Anything. And a good majority end up getting shot and unfortunately get killed. However, someone who's able to distinguish between irrational and rational fear and minimize the irrational fear could come into that rational fear, um, that situation and identify and see clearly, okay, there's a gun pointed at me. There's only two options. One, understand if he just wants my wallet, then okay, no harm. Give him, give him your wallet. Yeah. Two, if he is intending by his stature, by his, you mean, going back to the energy, being able to feel that energy, if you can tell that he's intending to harm you in some way, uh, way, shape, or form, you, you are able to identify that and move into it. And by getting rid of the fear, just, just acting, that's how they can subdue a, a situation like that. They can go in, they can grab the gun, they can get the guy down on the ground. You can't do any of that, no matter if, even if you have the skills, even if you're a bodybuilder, all these things, if you can't get rid of the irrational fear, then you're never going to be able to face rational fear in a clear state of head and you're not a clear state of mind and you're never going to be able to do what is necessary. Yeah. Again, it's, it's that uh, homeostatic range, your, your fight or flight response, all the things you live in and have experienced have a homeostatic range. And every time you face an irrational fear, the small ones are the easy ones. Like do those every day. That, that's, right. that's like, you know, I, I fear telling my wife that I messed up. Okay. We'll tell her she'll probably yell at you and okay. But you know, maybe you learned a lesson and whatever. Um, I, you know, I don't go to something extreme as extreme as getting held up because I think there are so many different small things that people do every single day, you know, and maybe it's the fear of, sitting down and just working on my computer. I don't want to do it for three hours and I hate working on the computer. Blah, blah, blah. I, I hear this stuff a lot. And it's like, okay, well, that is a fear. That is a mindset. That is a, a something that's going on that we have to transform that so that when big things actually happen, you can go, oh, well, I can, I can face anything. I am unstoppable. I am. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's it. It's a uh, Stonewall Jackson. I believe yeah. uh, they said that he would just run through said, you know, there'd be gunfire, bullets flying everywhere. And he would just run through. He would barely ever hide, you know, behind cover. And finally they asked him, they said, you know, he was one of the greatest war heroes. And they said, um, how do you do it? Like, how do you, how are you not afraid? He said, everyone has their time. We all eventually die. It might be today. It might be in a hundred years. If we just do what we know we have to do, like, for example, I see my men hiding behind, cowering behind this uh, object, this rock, whatever it is, this building. That's not going to get us anywhere because we are under attack. If you stay behind that building until it's safe, it's never going to be safe. And eventually the enemy is going to be upon you. And then, you know, how that ends up. Uh, whereas if you just keep moving forward, doing the things that you know you have to do and just, yeah, there's bullets flying all around. But, okay, I'm going to do what I have to do. Sure, I might face my end today, or I might not. But if you can just go through and say, you know what, it is what it is, you're you're unstoppable. 
that. It is what it is. C'est la vie. Such is life. Um, uh, God, there's, there's dozens of them. It's like these are sayings throughout history, throughout time, throughout language, just to say, look, you're here. Do the thing. Right. And I said, like, if, if life is just this experience and we're having this experience, you're here to have this experience. If this is all energy and you're just kind of brought in through your parents to inhabit this meat suit for a while, just enjoy it, write it out, do whatever you need to do. You're just part of this flow of life. So eventually it's going to end. You don't know when that is just do what you got to do. Right. Right. I think that is the, the perfect uh, ending note. <laughs> All right. Well, then, before we wrap this up, uh, just let our audience know how they can get in touch with you. Uh, if you have any offers right now, uh, anything cool uh, with Think Think Tank Creative that you're doing, uh, just yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yours? Um, people can find me at uh, www.thinktankcreative.net. Simple. Thinktankcreative.net. Uh, the stuff that I'm doing right now with most people is a uh, four to six hour strategy session, brand strategy, market strategy, business strategy. We sit down and talk about your customers, your goals, uh, your values that you're running your company by, your mindset, um, what you're really putting into it. And then I put that all together in a nice little bundle and hand it over and say, okay, here's your, here's your report. Here's the steps you need to take. Here's the action steps for you. Here's how to get your marketing going. Here's how to get stuff moving forward for you. Um, we also dive into archetypes in that. And we talk about uh, Jungian archetypes and the psychology behind that, both for the customers and your business. Because um, if you understand both, then you can translate from one to the other. And that's super important. Um, and I call that my power story, which is just, you know, you talk to me and I listen and reflect, okay, here's your story. Here's what's super powerful. Here's what set you apart from everybody else. And here's where you should really leverage about your genius, your skills and your story to help your business and your marketing flow much better. That's uh, that's my main offer that I'm, I'm helping people with. And uh, a lot of people absolutely love it. It is really transformative um, for, for consultants and small business people to sit down and talk about this stuff in a way that is actually helpful for their mindset, for their goals, for their vision. And then, right. and then a couple of people are like, great, now let's do the subconscious reprogramming so that I can really anchor all of that vision into my body, into my brain to make it happen. Um, and then, you know, bigger packages are like logos and all that stuff. But I, what I'm really focusing on is my power story. Cause really I want to help as many people as possible, utilize your story, your mindset, your skills, your genius to really make a difference in the world. Right. I mean, that's awesome. I, I think we will be in touch uh, actually after this episode because <laughs> I think I, I need that. Right on. Um, all right. So yeah, let's let's end this one. Thank you so much. Again, just like last episode, this was just jam-packed with, well, I mean, the, the takeaway here is just you, you can get lost in every minute <laughs> of this episode. So <laughs> you go that is, that that is the point of a good conversation. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> someone's going to watch us and it's there with their laptop open researching like pause google go on for two hours oh play uh, in that case <laughs> i'm sorry about uh bell it was uh edison uh thank yes. you <laughs> yes <laughs> they just hit me and i'm like wait a minute not not graham bell it's edison the light bulb yeah it happens uh, yeah all right well thank you jeremy 
thank you so much, Mike. And uh, I look yeah. forward to uh, hearing and seeing when this is posted and, and maybe uh, your, your people want to contact, reach out to me. That would be awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I'll post your links in the, the description uh, as always, and then post it in the Facebook group and then have it go live on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and all the other platforms. Cool. All right. Thank you. Yep. Thank you.